Thank you for joining us here at Brave Church. We hope our teaching inspires you. For more information about gathering times, events, and other resources, visit brave.church. Here's this week's talk. Uh, We're going to finish Ephesians. Here we go. Ephesians 6, verse 14. Stand firm then when the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place and your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Verse 16. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Spiritual warfare is about the classic conflict uh, between the supernatural forces of good and evil. The, the battle between good and evil is a universal story. Uh, on Friday, I was trying to reach my wife, Tracy, and I couldn't find her. When I finally reached her, I asked her, I said, where are you? And she said, well, I, I went to a matinee to watch Wonder Woman. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. She goes, I love Wonder Woman. I've loved her since I was a little girl. And I go, oh, that's, that's great. That's awesome. But, but both in fiction and in the real world, we're aware that evil exists. C.S. Lewis said that there are two equal and opposite mistakes that you can fall into with regards to demons and the devil. You can have an unhealthy interest in them. You can attribute way too much to them. You can see them behind everything and ascribe evil to them beyond what they can do or what they even do. Or, on the other hand, you can be totally skeptical and not believe in them at all. Almost the whole world breaks down into one of those two mistakes. Either people don't believe in the devil at all, or they don't understand the devil in terms of the the paranormal manifestations and exorcism, and they think of the, the extremes, which those do exist, by the way. The activity of the devil and demonic forces, though, goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. You see, in the very beginning, Satan was present with Adam and Eve, the first moment of spiritual warfare here on planet Earth, but he was not possessing them. He was simply lying to them. Satan's number one strategy in your life is the lies he leaves in the human heart. Proverbs says that as a person thinks, so is he. What we think becomes what we believe to be true. There are only three thinkers in your mind today. Your thoughts, evil thoughts that come through, and God's thoughts. And Satan's tool is the lie. And once you believe it as truth, it ruins your relationship with God, and it ruins your relationships with other people once you believe a lie. You see, a lie always kills a relationship. A lie steals from a relationship, and a lie destroys. And so if you want to be successful at defeating the forces of evil, if you want to win over the battle for your mind and for your heart every day, you must learn how to put on the armor of God. And here's what we're going to learn today. We're going to learn when's the best time to put your armor on. What does it mean to put on the full armor of God? How do you put it on? And then know who you're fighting against. And so in your notes there, number one, when is the best time 
to put your armor on. Verse 14, it says, stand firm then. Stand firm then are the words you would say to a soldier when he's in battle. Stand firm. You're in battle. The battle's already going on. He says, stand firm when the belt of truth is buckled around your waist. In the original Greek language, it actually reads, having been buckled. You're already buckled up. You don't put your armor on in the middle of a battle. That would be silly, right? You don't wait for the battle to start, you know, and then go, hey, where's my buckle? Where, hey, anybody see my belt? I can't find it. You know, while the arrows are landing all around you and the fight is going on, you don't say, hey, honey, do you know where my shield is? It's out here in the garage somewhere. I don't know where I put it, right? No, you put the armor on before the battle. Now, why is this important? Because when circumstances are good, we all tend to coast, if things are going okay in your life and if you don't feel like there's any really big battles going on, there's maybe no great disappointments right now or failures in your life right now, or you're not feeling tempted uh, by despair, there's no real persecution or attacks against you, you haven't been on the news lately, uh, you're not being tempted by anger or resentment, no, you know, nothing's trying to seduce you. In other words, you don't feel like, you know, there's not really, I don't have a lot, I don't, I don't really have any spiritual warfare going on. You're spiritually coasting. It's like when you were a child. Remember when you'd ride a bike and you'd ride the bike uphill? What was the fun part? It was coasting downhill. At least that's what the fun part was for me, right? And so when you're coasting, you don't have really much of a prayer life. If somebody would ask you, hey, a scale of one to to five, five being the best, how's your prayer life these days? Ah, kind of average or whatever. Been in the Word lately? Are you doing daily devotions? Ah, you know, whatever. You're just kind of coasting. And so our lives become rather superficial while spiritual warfare is happening. Have a little bit of light church involvement, uh, but we're not working on any deep kind of change in our lives. We're just kind of coasting. But not all weeks are the same. Not all Monday mornings are the same. On this particular Monday, you open the front door, you go out of your house, you head towards your 718 Porsche convertible, at least I do. No, I don't. Um, but, be- but before you open that car door to get in whatever your, you know, your van is or your SUV or whatever it is, in the middle of the air, imagine arrows begin appearing out of nowhere. That's the way it is. It's just like all of a sudden there's this siege. All of a sudden there's this awareness in your life that I'm having a bad day. And suddenly those arrows are on their way, and those arrows have flames attached to them. There's a new battle on. You just discovered you have a disease. You just discovered a sickness. You just discovered something going on with your family. You just discovered that you're way more in debt than what you thought. Whatever it is, there are things going on, and there's a new battle on, and the siege has now commenced into your life, and you don't have your armor on because you've just kind of been coasting. If you don't follow Jesus, you know this as just another bad day. That's what you would call it. The idea that there's a spiritual force that could be behind this is foreign to you. But let me ask you, is molestation just another bad day? Or is it evil meant to cripple you? Is that just really another bad day or is that pure evil? Betrayal, if you've ever experienced it in all of its forms, is that really just another bad day? Or is it more like a burning arrow that pierces your heart and burns deep and it takes a long time for the flame to go out? You see, life is full of trials and tribulations. Think about the things in your life that seemingly make no sense to you, those kind of days, some of those, those things in your life that, that were painful, some of them that were hard for you to bear. 
some of the things in your life that maybe you're going through right now that, that are frightening to you because you, you have uncertainty. You don't know the outcome and you're full of apprehension and anxiety. When things go bad and suddenly I begin to struggle, I have a fight on my hands. How can I make sure that I'm ready for the troubles that are going to show up in my life? You know, self-defense is one way. Sensei is here. And, um, and so I want to tell a story about him as a young man. Uh, by the way, he was three-time world champion. I mean, this is a really special man, and I'm, it's an honor to have him here. It really is. But I'll never forget my first few weeks of training. On this one particular night, uh, Sensei told us that we were to do this certain stretching exercise. Now, I can only describe... Uh, this particular stretching exercise because my body can no longer perform these movements. And so there I was, I was sitting on the floor and you take one leg and you bend your knee up all the way to your chest and you move your other foot over the other side and you put it next to your booty. And then you have your other leg that's kind of going out straight and ideally flat on the ground, although my leg never went flat on the ground. And then your toe is kind of like in a waving position, right? And the, the idea, the goal is, is to bend down and uh, touch your forehead on your knee and touch your toe with your hand. Now, I made the fatal mistake of asking Sensei for some help. Really bad move. Because immediately with great enthusiasm, Sensei began pushing down on my back and my neck and pushing my, my forehead towards my knee, which was no small distance, and, and my forehead had never seen my knee, <laughs> let alone ever touch it. And when he pressed down, I immediately, I, I immediately felt pain. I felt some discomfort. Uh, swelling, bloating, itching. No, just kidding. <laughs> Gross. Okay. I'm just kidding about that part. I did feel pain though. And so when he pushed me forward, I wasn't able to scream because he cut off my oxygen. Okay. <laughs> or I would have screamed like a baby. Right. And, and then seeing that I had stopped breathing since, since they quickly starts yelling at me and coaching something that sounded like a Lamaze breathing tech, like childbirth, which I thought was highly unlikely for me. But he, he's, he's yelling at me like, breathe, relax, relax. You know, like I'm trying, you know, how do you relax when you got him yelling at you? Breathe, relax, breathe, relax. Right. And then finally I, I thought to myself, okay, very quickly, I need to breathe. I got to quickly breathe and I got to quickly relax. Have you ever tried to quickly relax? It's kind of like, go ahead, hurry up, relax, relax, right? You know, and I thought, if, if I can just do that, he'll leave me alone and he'll move on to another student. But I underestimated his zeal. Somehow I encouraged him. And I don't know how I did it. And suddenly I felt the full weight of his body against my back, using his body mass to propel my face towards my knee. Upon arriving at my destination, I found that my eye socket was lodged firmly into my knee. And then I felt this strange sensation of peace, and I passed out. <laughs> However, upon waking after being pushed way beyond my capacity, I have to admit, I did feel unusually flexible, <laughs> right? Out of my struggle, out of my pain, came a new beginning. Isn't that true in every area of your life? Anything that really matters? Sometimes life asks more of us than what we feel that we can deliver. And sometimes it isn't just life that's trying to ruin my family. Sometimes it's pure evil. And you have to stretch beyond what you've known before. And the spiritual warfare that you don't believe in, you now start to become a believer in. 
when's the best time to put your armor on? The answer is never take it off. Even when things are going well in your life, you need to look at every single day as a stretching exercise of a routine of life, of being in the Word and being in your devotions, and and look at every single day as a testing ground for you because there are small battles and skirmishes going on actually every day of your life. Let me give you just two, two examples that I can quickly think of that are almost every day for most people, if you're going to be honest. One is just impatience with people. That's a big battle. Uh, some days we, we, just, we just have people that irritate us, and we become impatient with them. And when you become impatient or irritated with someone, learn to listen to the thoughts of your heart because they're not good. It's not just that I'm being impatient. It's that the thoughts in my heart are not really good. You're saying things like, you idiot. I mean, can't you get this right? I mean, my gosh. But what if you started changing the thoughts of your heart? What if instead you put your heart in check at the moment of impatience? You know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus asked his followers, he said, he said stay awake, pray. It was his greatest time of need. Have you ever had a great time of need in your life and you really just wanted your friend to be there, and you thought it was obvious that they should be there to support you in that moment, and they weren't there, and you thought, really? Really, you didn't get this, that this moment was important for me, that this was a big deal to support me, this was your opportunity to support me? Ever had that moment? So here's Jesus. It's the greatest moment of his life the darkest hour of his life, the moment when he really needed all these guys. He'd been healing everybody, ministering to everybody, teaching everybody, uh, giving out to them, to this group in very special ways. They were like family to him and vice versa, and he needed their support most. And what do they do? They fall asleep. They just check out on the whole deal. They missed it. And then Jesus, how did he respond? I mean, you're, you're really stressed out. You're over here praying, and your sweat is like great drops of blood. That's how intense this moment is. I know for me, if I'm in that kind of moment and I come back and they're all asleep, I might have some words. I might, I might have an exhortation for them. You idiots. Like, I mean, it's like, are you kidding me? This is, do you understand what's happening here? I'm going to die here in a 24-hour period, and you're over here sleeping, and all this stuff's going on? No, we, we don't read any of that. Instead, he died for them. He, wasn't, he not only was not impatient with them, he died for them. That's why he's Jesus and we're not. His level of patience is amazing. Maybe if he can be that patient, I can be, become more patient to those that are closest to me too. Because that's really where the skirmish is. That's the battle, the spiritual warfare in your spouse, in your marriage, in your family can I become more patient to those that I love that are around me? That's pretty intense warfare if you think about it because we're probably not very good at it. I've developed a really poor habit. I'll be honest about this. I talk out loud to other drivers while I'm driving on the road. Now, they can't hear me, which is probably a really good thing, but I say all kinds of things. I'm kind of like a sports announcer, and I'm giving a play-by-play. You idiot, look out over there. What are you doing over there? I'm like calling it out as I, as I see it. It's just kind of a play-by-play thing, and and, and, and it's gotten really bad since we moved here to the Bay Area, I'll be honest. 
And, and then I kind of feel like everybody's threatening my family. It's kind of a weird thing. I think I need therapy. But it's kind of like every car is threatening our livelihood as a family. And it kind of gets all intense. And so I'm saying, you idiot. Oh, come on. What do you think you're doing? Hey, idiot, the light's green. Get off your phone. Get off your phone. And, I'm, you know, it's, just, it's not pretty. It's not pretty. I'm just being honest. And then recently, just this week, Tracy, Tracy calmly invited me to consider keeping my thoughts to myself. <laughs> and I actually thought, you know, I really need to stop this. I, I mean, I'm not, you know, I need to change my, my heart. You know, not just what I'm saying, but my heart. And, and, and what ends up happening is I lose. I'm the idiot. You know, the impatient person's the idiot, really, Okay. I'm not smarter or better. Or doing, I mean, I'm a hypocrite. I'm sometimes doing stupid things when I drive too. When we speak words of judgment, we become a little harder that day. Come on. It, it's not just a, oh, no big deal. No, when we speak words of judgment, our hearts become a little harder that day, a little more proud that day, and we lose the battle. We lose the little skirmish. The truth is that we can become so hard-hearted that we don't even care. We actually really don't care. And we don't want to hear whatever our spouse is saying or whoever's trying to help us. We just don't even care. The other example of a common temptation and warfare is worry. When you worry, you're anxious, and you're thinking about what could go wrong. You're, you're letting your thoughts go unchecked. And what if instead you were to get a hold of yourself and you were to say, wait a minute, Lord, my worry is actually pride. My worry is a form of pride because my worry basically means this. I know exactly how I want my day to go, how it should go, and I'm afraid that I cannot control it, nor it will come out the way I want it to, and I'm afraid that, God, you will not get it right. My pride says, I know what's best for me, and so I'm going to, through my worry, try to control everything that's coming up. If you just dismiss a pattern of worry as just another trivial thing, like, oh, that's the way I am, I worry a lot, you'll continue to lose. You'll continue to lose a little more ground every day. We are losing battles in our heart. Because when you let your heart go in a direction of impatience or anxiety, you're grumpy, you're unhappy, and you lose your peace. Do you know how to listen to the thoughts of your heart? Do you think about the thoughts of your heart? Do you recognize the lies underneath the thoughts? You see, spiritual warfare, listen to this, spiritual warfare is in the everyday small skirmishes of how you live and act towards others. Spiritual warfare isn't just a big thing out here, some mystical whatever, some ghost whatever. The spiritual warfare, when, when Satan came to Adam and Eve in the garden, it was a conversation. It was a conversation in thoughts. I don't know if he physically manifested or not. When I was a kid, they had you know pictures of a snake or whatever. I've never liked them since. I don't know. But it was a conversation, and all it was was a lie. God is withholding something from you. If you eat of that tree, you'll be God. 
And so in everyday life, we hear these voices. We hear the thoughts of, I have a right to be angry. Really? Bitterness. Let it seep in. Let that bitterness, you know, hold them in unforgiveness. They owe you. They need to come to you. Where's that voice coming from? It's not coming from God. Impatience, unforgiveness, like arrows of darkness, they're launched. But you know where they're launched from? They're launched from your own heart. The Bible says the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. We always act like it's somewhere way out there that the devil's, you know, Pastor Samuel mentioned last week, the devil's not omnipresent. He's probably not after you, maybe the Pope, I don't know, but probably not you. The warfare in our hearts. The Bible says we're led astray by our own hearts. Stop those thoughts. Take them captive. They matter. Number two, what does it mean to put on the full armor of God? Paul is saying, I want you to take what's true of you. I want you to appropriate and integrate as a helmet, as a breastplate, as a shield. I know you're saved. I know you have faith. I know you have the righteousness of Christ. I know you have the peace that comes from the gospel, but you're not appropriating. You're not integrating into your everyday life the reality of your Christian walk. You're not actually putting these things on at the center of your heart. Go way beyond your head knowledge and and the fact that you're accepted and loved by God so that when people criticize you, and they will, when you feel threatened by others, and you will, instead of reacting as an insecure person, as a threatened person, learn to think, feel, and act as a deeply loved person. You see, if I'm a child of God and I have a heavenly father and I do, and he has a bright future for me and plans for me, and if I die, I go to heaven, I have absolutely nothing on this planet to fear. What's the worst thing that can happen to you? Death? Okay, so I go right into eternity. If I live and operate with a mindset that I am a child of God, that I am loved and I'm fully accepted, your acceptance doesn't necessarily matter anymore. It's not that I don't love you or respect you, but I don't need your acceptance to fulfill what God's called me to do. That's called wholeness. You're never at risk when Jesus is in your boat, when Jesus is in your heart. So stop acting worried like you're at risk. Stop acting insecure Insecurity is the old you prior to Christ. You had reasons to be insecure. I was born in this family. I was raised this way. We didn't have this. We didn't have that. I have all these reasons of why I should be an insecure person. Okay, I understand that, but now I forget the former things. I don't dwell on the past. I move forward into my new life in Christ. I am now a child of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I now have all wealth, everything I need. Jehovah Jireh is my provider. I'm now at a different level. Everything's changed for me as a child of God. So I don't have to act insecure because I'm no longer insecure. I don't need to be an impatient person because there's really, at the end of the day, it gets you nowhere. Have you noticed that? Respond to others as someone who has put on their armor as a fully loved, fully accepted, safe person. Take it on because it's true. It's the real you. Begin to live from that. There's nothing to be threatened about. You have the armor of God on you. Picture in your mind the greatest soldier 
you're ripped, you've got a six-pack. I'm not talking about beer. I'm talking about your, you're just ripped. Your muscles are, you've got the gear on. You've got the whole armor on. You're not easily threatened anymore. Spiritually, who are you? They start saying this about you. They start saying that, eh, just uh, pigeon poop on an aircraft carrier. That's a word picture. Remember that. When you hear the false accusations and this and that, and all, hey, pigeon poop on an aircraft carrier. I'm on a mission. I'm the aircraft carrier, baby. Number three, how do you put on the armor of God? There are seven items that are listed here. The belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, shoes of the gospel of peace, shield of faith, helmet of salvation, sword of the Spirit, and then he says, pray in the Spirit. I don't have time to teach on each item, so what I'm going to do is just pick one this morning, the first of the seven, which is the belt of truth. The belt of truth is the foundation, by the way, to all the others that are listed, but it's not a belt like you and I think of a belt today. The Greek word here that's used is actually a leather sheath. It's a very thick thing, and it went over, actually covered almost the entire body. It was more uh, like a woman's slip. It was a complete piece of leather that went all the way down and literally protected the thighs and the knees, went all the way down. It was underneath everything. It was foundational, and this leather would help protect you. Arrows that would come, it would minimize the damage of an arrow if it got past your shield or your breastplate. A garment that's wore underneath everything else, and it's foundational. This was considered a belt. We must learn how Colossians, in Colossians it says, let the Word of God dwell richly in your hearts. The belt of truth. What is truth? The Word of God. Bring the Word of God into your life, regular intake, Tracy just got me new vitamins. I got to take four after breakfast and four after dinner. These things are like horse pills, you know. Bring it in. Bring in the Word of God on a daily basis. It's a center of your life, a center of activity. The Word of God is foundational upon which to build and create your life. It must be the driver of your life. When something incites you or triggers a reaction, pause. Think first. What does the Word of God tell me to do in this situation? That's what guides you as a follower of Jesus. It's no longer what you think or the news thinks or a celebrity thinks. It's what does the Word of God think? What does God want me to do? How can I respond with the grace and love of Christ in this particular situation? So instead of being ruled by my flesh or my natural person, which is my lowest impulse, I now want to be ruled by the Word of God in my heart. Every day I must be aware of the lies as they come through my mind, the stream of my consciousness, that's a lie, that's a lie, that's a lie. Oh, that's truth. How do you know the truth? You know the Word of God. You can read the entire New Testament in about three days. Satan didn't possess Adam and Eve. He placed a lie within their heart, and they acted on it. Hebrews 3, verse 13, but, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. It's like God saying, don't coast because there's more sin around you. There's more things going on in your heart than maybe you've even given thought to because every lie holds you as a prisoner 
but every truth sets you free. Every day you choose to harden your heart a little bit or to stay soft. If you never remember anything I say as your pastor, remember these words, stay soft. Stay soft. The moment you start to harden up, you lose. When the heart hardens, you divorce. When the heart hardens, things go south. When the heart hardens, everything goes bad. Stay stay soft. And there'll be things your entire life that'll try to get you to become embittered and to not stay soft. Stay soft. This world system lies. You see all the lies. It's all over the news. It's everywhere we go. The lies are be angry, be cruel, be vicious, be greedy, be selfish. The lies of the world system. You don't have to forgive. You don't have to forgive them. That's a lie. You have a right to be bitter. That's a lie. You have a right to be impatient. That's a lie. Those lies will hurt you. Become aware of and identify the lie. Don't just let it sit in your brain as you're going down the freeway. Lies take away your love and your joy and your peace. And if you harden your heart, you live only to please yourself. You see, when you're living only to please yourself, your relationships will never fulfill you. Money will never be enough. Food will not be a lasting comfort. And pleasure will never satisfy. Who has a better vacation? The party drunk on the beach... Or the man and woman who love God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength and are full of love, joy, peace, and rest. Who has a better vacation? Sin clutters our minds and our hearts so that nothing that should satisfy us is able to. Sin is anything in this world that just separates you from an intimate experience with the Heavenly Father, from peace and love and joy. That's why a list of do's and don'ts for sins are way too shallow for the understanding of Scripture. The cost is way bigger than a list of sins of do's and don'ts. It's your losing contact with the person you most desperately need. And when you lose contact, you're lost. When you lose His presence in your life. You see, when you're in Christ... When you're in the Father's presence and you're in tune to the Holy Spirit and you're praying in the Spirit, there's a faith that flows through your life. There's a pure river that flows and it's free from clutter. And out of your heart comes love, joy, peace, and kindness and gentleness and meekness. And when you get really free and you cleanse your heart and you repent and you change your mind and you go a different direction in life and you change the dial and you tune into this higher frequency of living, you can flow again you can hear again, you can be at peace again, you can be free. And that's what we are as Christians. And there's nothing like it. And if you're here today and you don't know that, but you know that sin's cluttered your heart, you can be free today. We're walking in a freedom. And the belt of truth is the foundation. I must be willing to humble myself and believe the truth. Jesus Christ did die, and he was resurrected on the third day. End of story. Argue it all you want. Write all the books you want, all the lies you want. Do all the documentaries on television you want. It doesn't change the truth that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and rose on the third day. He is our resurrected Lord and Savior. What does it mean to put on the armor of God? It's taking truth into your life. It's being willing to declare it and live it in front of other people and not be embarrassed. Number four, know who you're fighting against. 
Some people get uncomfortable with the idea of spiritual warfare. When Jesus came to earth, his disciples wanted nothing more than a physical war to overthrow and defeat the Romans and their physical oppression. But when Jesus, who is our divine warrior, came, he doesn't wound, he heals. He doesn't raise up an army. He goes about teaching and feeding and healing and loving people. And at the climax of his life, when the soldiers are after him and Peter gets out his sword to protect him, Jesus says, put it away. What kind of warriors, what kind of warrior does this? Jesus came to destroy the powers of darkness. That's what the scripture says. To set the captives free, to open our eyes to the power of truth. Jesus Christ did not come with a sword in his hands, but with nails in his hands. He didn't come to bring the sword of God's judgment or condemnation on people. He came to bear the sword of evil, to fall on the sword for us. He gave himself, and he showed us how to love. And he died on the cross for our sins and our impatience and our anger and all of that to end sin and death once and for all, all of the evil, and to one day judge all of the evil in our world. Every single evil that's being done in our world will one day be judged. And that's justice. He forgave. He forgave his enemies, the people that hurt you the most, the people in your circle of influence. It is a real death to love and forgive those that have hurt you so deeply. And yet that's what he modeled. And so... That's spiritual warfare. It's participating. It's in an everyday walk around life. You overcome evil with good. Know who your fight is against. You see, the only person you should ever hate is the devil. It's not the person. Your spiritual fight is not against other people. Here's what the Word of God says in Ephesians 6, verse 10 through 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might or in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Look at this part, verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Love is the most powerful cure to the human condition, not hate. And so Jesus said, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And then he says, in Romans 12, it says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Die to yourself and forgive others. That's real spiritual warfare. There's a famous hymn, and it goes like this. For not with swords loud clashing, nor roll of steering drums, with deeds of love and mercy, the heavenly kingdom comes.